You're listening to Reddit Gold Radio. I'm your hostess, here with a late-night offering of Reddit posts and comments to help you conquer your day. We intended to record the show yesterday evening, but a sudden power outage swept through our Rocky Mountain town just after dark. Nighttime power outages up here create the ideal conditions for a night of exceptional stargazing, so we had no choice but to quickly bundle up to take an impromptu midnight stroll. I'm your host, and I can heartily agree that there is no better time for adventure than when the lights of civilization have winked out. Cast fear aside, grab a coat, and journey forth whenever these moments arrive. Through snow and rain, roaring thunder, or the inky black of a moonless night, all to chase the joy found in adversity. Unless, of course, your adversary is weather during an actual storm morning. In that case, light candles, stay inside, and listen to Reddit Gold Radio with the last drags of your phone battery. I'll be starting us off today with a history lesson. This post was submitted to Our Jokes by Camaro79. He asks, Russian history in five words. Hannes Anarian is up to the challenge with And Then Things Got Worse. Russian history starts when the Eastern Slavs and Finno-Ugric peoples start to settle down and establish a state, and they open relations with the Byzantines and adopt Christianity. And then things got worse. Genghis came, in the winter, mind you, and in less than three years the Mongols completely destroyed the young state of Rus, killing over half its people. And then things got worse. The Mongol Empire collapsed, leaving a power void in Asia. Russia re-established itself as the Grand Duchy, and then the Tsardom, but it took a very long time before Russia could be considered a regional power. And then things got worse. In the Age of Empire, Russia, with no warm water ports, could not expand across the seas, and was blocked by powerful Germany, HRE, Austria in the west, so they expanded east. And the more they expanded, the more clear it was that Russia was forming an identity for itself that was somehow different from the rest of Europe. As the empire grew, it also grew more isolated. They fell behind economically and socially. Feudalism in the form of lords and serfs existed in Russia until 1861, but when it was abolished, it only made the lower classes even poorer. In 1906, a constitution was written, but the aristocracy rejected it. And then things got worse. World War I began. It was kind of Russia's fault they were the first to mobilize their military. Well, they somehow managed to sneak around using the word mobilize, so that after the war they could point the finger at Germany, who mobilized in response to Russia's totally not a mobilization. Russia was not ready for the war. The people didn't want the war. They had no stake in the squabbles of Balkan powers. And then things got worse. Revolution! The Tsars were kicked out in March of 1917 and were replaced by the Russian Republic. And then things got worse. Revolution! The Russian Republic was kicked out by the Bolsheviks in the Red October, establishing the Russian Soviet Federative Socialist Republic, led by Vladimir Lenin. They made peace with the Germans and Austrians and consolidated power for the next several years, socializing every business they possibly could and then forming the USSR. And then things got worse. Lenin died, and the Communist Party was fractured into two groups, led by Joseph Stalin and Leon Trotsky. Stalin came out on top and killed Trotsky and exiled his followers. He then began a long reign of terror. Millions of people were killed by his order. Dissidents were sent to hard labor camps in Siberia, whence they never returned. 
and then things got worse. It's Hitler time, everybody. That's right, the nutty German himself suddenly invaded in June 1941, and by November they had captured Ukraine and much of the Russian countryside and were camped outside the gates of Moscow and Leningrad. But Stalin, with his innovative and brilliant strategy, throw worthless grunts at them until they run out of bullets, began to push the Germans back, eventually all the way to Berlin. Overall, the war costed 30 million Soviet deaths. And then things got worse. The war was expensive and took an extreme toll on the Soviet economy and its population, but they managed to hang on, they stole nuclear technology from the United States, and then began developing it themselves. The space race happened, yada yada, and then things got worse. For very complicated reasons, not limited to overspending on nuclear and space technology and military, and the general lack of concern for its people, the Soviet Union declined and eventually suffered widespread economic collapse and public outrage, especially when Gorbachev instituted his glasnost policy, which revealed decades of repression and deception. A coup th threw Gorbachev out of power, but the coup government itself only lasted three days, leaving a new power vacuum. The government of the various Soviet republics took over administrative control from the old central Soviet government, and soon the Communist Party was banned, though the ban was never actually enforced. Yeltsin, the president of Russia, reorganized the country and tried to rescue the economy in every way he could, including privatization of as many industries as possible as fast as possible. And then things got worse. Yeltsin's privatization wasn't well-planned and was much too fast. It opened the door for criminal mafias and greedy corporations to seize economic power, and soon Russia effectively had an oligarchic aristocracy again, just like in the 19th century. The country wasn't able to get out of its depression before the 1998 financial crisis, which decimated the economy again and forced Yeltsin to resign. And then things got worse. Vladimir Putin ex-KGB officer often reminisces about the glory of the Soviet era. He won a landslide victory in every election under suspicious circumstances. He took control of parliament, but pretended to uphold the constitution by letting his head of staff win the election after his second term, because the constitution says presidents can't serve more than two consecutive terms. But as soon as Medvedev's first term ended, Putin won another landslide victory. All the while, political opponents of Putin disappear or die in unexpected, tragic accidents. And then things got worse. Putin invaded Georgia and then Ukraine, paving the way for a new Russian empire, just as unequal and authoritarian as any other. And that's Russian history for you. Edit. Thanks for the discussion and the gold, guys. This clearly isn't a perfectly factual account of Russian history, but we all learned something today and had a good laugh, too. Keep being awesome. Also, Leningrad detail fixed by popular demand. I'm leaving the Hitler-German-Austrian bit, though, for reasons explained below, and I probably should have included Napoleon, but I don't have t the time to work him into the narrative, so he's going to get a mention down here instead, and I'll assume you all know the story. <laughs> I loved this summary. Um, the first time I read this, I had a Russian roommate, and I told him, his name is Andre, and I told oh, him yeah. about this post, and I said, Andre, like, what do you think about this? And he was like, yeah, that's basically exactly it, yeah. <laughs> and then things got worse. <laughs> and then things got worse. All of the comments are adding on other awful things that have happened in <laughs> Russian history. Oh. oh, they didn't even mention Peter the Great. That's completely correct. The abomination says you kind of conveniently skipped over Peter the Great and everything he accomplished. Peter the Great was actually an incredible leader and did secure a warm water port. Um, actually, Extra Credits just did a little bit about this. They were talking about that war, um, which I highly recommend. So, yeah. All right. My post um, is also a little bit on the grim side. 
Um, bit of a trigger warning, this does deal with issues of familial abuse. It's from the Just No Family subreddit, which has to deal with abusive or basically crazy family members. Um, and this post is by Oreo Lover 43 and it's titled, The Four Rules of Being a Good Kid. You were such a good kid. My mother said that to me yesterday, and it's been stuck in my craw ever since. Comments like these make my hackles go up, because good kid is a very specific thing, one that you might muck up if you don't know the rules well enough. So, let me tell you. The first and biggest rule of being a good kid is to be quiet. You don't jump around and make a big fuss at events, even if all the other kids are, and that's what you're supposed to do. You don't go talk to kids you know at school, events, you sit neatly between your parents. Even when your parents aren't there anymore, you know you had better heed their rules or there'll be a whooping for you if they hear about it. So even when it's just you and other kids, you sit at the back of the room with a smile and nothing to say, like more of a chaperone than anything else. In my case, I was 10, and this was both the first and the last time I played with other kids outside of school. And all I heard from my friends was, what's wrong with you? Why are you so shy? Why don't you want to do anything? Even your teachers are put off by how quiet you are and that you'd rather eat in her classroom than the cafeteria. They never have to tell you to quiet down, but they're actually a little concerned and mention it to your parents at the conference. And then your parents praise you for being so good in class and how cute it is that you prefer your teacher's company. Almost equal to quietness is obedience. Believe me, this is a big one. The overwhelming responsibility to not make parents angry, sad, disappointed was planted deep and early. So you're trying to please them even when they aren't there, like when your friend's mom is taking everyone to the video rental shop. This was the same day as the situation I mentioned above, and you forgot your coat. So you're just about in tears the whole car ride, despite the adult telling you that it's not that cold and you'll be outside for all of five seconds. But that doesn't matter. That's not the point. She doesn't understand. You stay right beside your friend's mom the whole time you're in the store, paranoid that your parents are going to come in and see you without a coat. You're so visibly anxious that your friend offers to let you wear her coat. But no, that's not my coat. She'll know. The third rule is to be mature. Be so mature that you get oodles of compliments and people gaping at how you're 12 when they thought you had to be a young-looking 15-year-old at least. Be mature enough to listen to your mom when she needs to talk to you about the horrendously abusive situation you live in that she doesn't know how to get you out of. Listen when she tells you how much she hates your dad, but loves him, but hates him. Listen when she's telling you how tired she is of your older brothers, her stepsons. Listen when she tells you that you're her favorite, Listen when she tells you the reason your dad has been especially moody lately, it's because she doesn't want to have sex anymore. Listen when she tells you she wants to swallow a whole bottle of pills sometimes, and you're the only thing stopping her. You'll especially want to remember that, so you can hurry and check on her every time you hear a bottle of pills rattle for the next three years. The fourth and final rule is to remember your parents need you. They might threaten to abandon you or send you away 50 times, but they probably don't mean it and might apologize later. They might take you out of public school to homeschool you. Do that so improperly there's no way you're going to get into college. Isolate you and then shrug their shoulders. After all, you agreed to it when you were 12. They might call you horrible names and say unthinkable things about you for the littlest of reasons. You're the only thing they have to live for. 
And when you say hurtful things, such as you'd rather have went to public school, or you feel like you don't even know your dad, it cuts them too deep. Remember, they need you. I thought that was a beautiful thing. This is horrifying. It was very horrifying. Um, I love the edit. It says uh, by the author, I honestly don't know what to say for this post to get so much positive feedback. It just makes my heart swell. It's not even the upvotes. It's all the comments and messages telling me you're not wrong and you are heard. I don't even know. I've never been told I was right in contrast to my parents' actions ever by anyone. I also haven't been heard. Thank you all so much. I think the isolation is such a huge thing for people in these situations. And to know that they are not the only ones in a situation like this is so important. Mm -hmm. And being aware. I mean, in abusive situations, the first thing they always try to do is cut you off from other people who could support you. Um, Tiger Pounds Purr in the first comment of or the top comment of the thread says, It may not feel like it right now, but what you wrote is incredibly insightful about the crap you grew up with, and that insight is the foundation for getting past that abuse. You're 100% correct. It was all complete bullshit. You were obviously the sounding block for all their problems, and you couldn't nor wouldn't fight back. I'm so sorry you had to shoulder that burden. I really hope you're in a better place. It certainly sounds like you have no unhealthy disillusions about what you went through. You should feel incredibly proud of that. There are a lot of people that never realize the extent of their abuse. And for anyone looking for um, resources to support those who have been abused or if they've been abused themselves or might suspect that, we'll include some in the show notes. That's a great idea. My next post was submitted to Ask Reddit by Don't Microwave Cats, which I think is a great username. I think you should not microwave cats. What basic life skill were you surprised to find your boyfriend-girlfriend spouse didn't have when you first started dating? Lothar, the unkind, says, Wife can't swim. She said her mother wouldn't let her learn because she was afraid of her drowning. That's the opposite of what swimming is for. (laughs) BB Shark says, Basic life skills? He, an ex from long ago, couldn't comprehend certain daily tasks. He thought any kind of soap could be put in the dishwasher. He would leave things in the oven and forget about them for hours. Thought you only needed to shower or brush your teeth every few weeks. I once witnessed him make a milkshake and not put the lid on the blender. Shit went everywhere, and he was genuinely perplexed at the outcome. (laughs) If he didn't feel like working one day, he'd just quit and apply for another job. The worst part was he truly believed I was an idiot for thinking him wrong or suggesting he change his habits. I felt like a wrangler at the zoo or a parent to a 25-year-old man-baby. How did he survive that long? Well, like the teeth, like you need to brush your teeth every few... Oh, God. God. Aggressive Napkins says money management. She used to think, oh, I have $500 in my account, which means I can buy that $500 item. She's since learned how to appreciate saving. Who's Your Proud said... My girlfriend is like this and wanted to save more. She made a rule that if it's a luxury item like a handbag, sunglasses, new TV, etc., she has to buy the item and put the same amount of money in savings. Helped her save money in two ways. She was less likely to buy something expensive she really didn't need because she looked at it as twice the price. And if she did deem it necessary, she was able to put money away. I don't think that's the best way to lead a frugal lifestyle. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Money but Mustache. But it's better than is, nothing. Mr. Money Mustache is rolling in his... Well, he's not dead. In his grave? He's rolling his bike. She's offended. (laughs) (laughs) That dude Cole says, being able to determine whether my hands are free or not. Like, I'll be carrying a two-handed tote, and she wants to hand me the glass of water she just poured? Like, yes, please. Balance it on my shoulder. (laughs) 
Marky Rar says, reminds me of the old Mitch Hedberg joke where he has eight apples and the cashier asks if he wants a bag. No thanks, I juggle, but only eight. If I'm ever buying nine apples, fucking, fucking bag, bag them up. up. <laughs> <laughs> Beanap says, that dude was fucking hilarious. My favorite is the Pringles bit. I think Pringles' original intent was to make tennis balls, but instead of rubber, a big truck full of potatoes pulled up, and Pringles <laughs> is a laid-back company, so they said, fuck it, cut them up. <laughs> Rest in pee, Mitch. Gracie Windkloppel says, cleaning. Specifically, dude had no idea where dust came from. Thought that if he didn't go over to that part of the room, it wouldn't get dusty and therefore did not need to be cleaned. It's kind of disgusting. I mean, if you tell him that dust is mostly human skin, I wonder how he would have reacted. <laughs> Sacket- sorry, Saskatoon Dream. Saskatoon Dream says, my dad likes to make bread and I gave my boyfriend, who I'd been dating for a year at this point, a loaf. We decided to have a slice, and he just cut the entire loaf in half. He wasn't sure where to go from there. I suppose a lot of people just buy sliced bread and never make their own. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like this is something you would do. Oh, no. Um, Bast Ugabar comments on that. Here, this is your half, and this is my half, followed up by man smashing bread into face. <laughs> I love the edit. This is now my number one most upvoted post comment. <laughs> Beautiful. Scoot Tweet 423 says, Soon after I married my wife, she was cooking pasta. Wife, could you get me the cauldron? Me. The what? Wife, you don't know what a cauldron is? <laughs> it's the thing you use to drain the water out of the past. Me. You mean the colander? <laughs> She was embarrassed, and it's been an inside joke ever since. Comment by Genital Furbies. Cauldron. Drain the water out of the past? Maybe she's a witch hell-bent on removing all water from the earth. <laughs> General Spluger says, Pass me the noodle, stay water, go. Which I think is what we should call ours from now on. It's the noodle, stay water, go. Noodle, stay water, go. Perfect. Metroid HNTR says, my current girlfriend doesn't know how to entertain herself other than with Netflix. Like, no other hobbies that she can do on her own, which makes it extremely frustrating when I want to play a video game or work on my truck. God forbid I take a camping trip with the guys, I'll come back into town with 20 messages saying I'm bored. Chastain86 says, buy her a vibrator. Fox Fox, I'm sorry, faux Fox, <laughs> says... You need to get her into something. Like, seriously, she has no interest? Pick up a craft. Anything. Nana Burst says, Witchcraft, Minecraft, Arts and Crafts, Craft Dinner. Caddy Diddy says, Witchcraft. But then you would need to buy a colander. <laughs> <laughs> and that ends my, my post. Glorious. Should we say cauldron? Oh, God. We're calling it the cauldron from now on. Uh, my post is from The White Django from Today I Learned. Today I Learned Liam Neeson was training to be a teacher until he punched a 15-year-old student in the face for pulling out a knife. The top comment is by Burnt Umberit. He says, I guess he had a particular set of skills. Ah. <laughs> Shifter2000 laments, you know what's annoying? Before Taken, I used to have this particular set of skills allows me to in part of my resume. Post taken, this line had to be removed for obvious reasons. Liam has ruined resume text buffing. Ruleb comments, I know who you are. I know what you want. If you are looking for qualifications, I can tell you I don't have any. 
But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a must-hire for people (laughs) like you. If you employ me now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for other positions. I will not pursue other positions. But if you don't, I will look for other positions. I will find other positions, and I will cry discriminatory hiring practices. (laughs) (laughs) Your opinion is wrong. Gave him Reddit silver. I didn't think that was enough, so we wanted to give him Reddit gold. My next one, I'm sorry, is from R. Cringe. Oh, no. Submitted by 18FK which I assume means 18 female California. I apologized for my butt sweat in an interview. This was seven years ago, but I still face palm over it to this very day. My first ever job interview went pretty badly. I was scrawny and wore an ill-fitting suit, and I looked like a dork in it. I was hella nervous and had Googled interview tips the night before, so my answers were cookie-cutter terrible. What's your greatest weakness? Working too hard. What's your work ethic? I'm a team player. The first cringe is when she asked me how I would deal with an upset and potentially angry patient. I replied, totally serious, I would handle it passive-aggressively. <laughs> in my mind, I was searching for the correct words to say that I would be polite but assertive in such a scenario. At the time, I thought that's what being passive-aggressive meant. After answering all her questions with my lackluster answers, the interview is finally over. Here's the second cringe. I'm a sweaty, nervous wreck. The seat I was in was like a plastic foam material. My mind was racing. She's going to see a puddle of sweat in my seat. I should confront this. So I seem self-aware and considerate. As we stand up and she's reaching over to shake my hand goodbye, I instead point to my seat and the sweaty butt print I left behind. I'm so sorry for my butt sweat. Do you have a tissue or a napkin I can wipe it up with? She is caught off guard, and as I'm waiting for her reply, I hastily start wiping my mark off with my hand, but it just smears everywhere. And she finally answers, no, that's all right. It all happened so fast. I put my hand out to shake hers goodbye, but was denied, and I did a play it cool smooth move to try to hide the the fact I just tried to shake her hand after that. I left and maneuvered my bag so it covered my butt, just in case I had a wet spot. I did not get the job. Oh. Oh, man. If we could, like, recount all of these awful... Where you don't understand what words mean, right? Like, passive-aggressively. It kind of makes sense as, like, politely assertive, right? Like, that makes sense. Oh, my God. One time, uh, in high school, early high school, I had no idea what the name... What the word masochist was. I had just no... I know. Oh, Oh, my God. I know. I had no, I thought that it meant like you weren't bothered by pain in a particular scenario, right? I had no idea that it was like a sexual thing. And so some girl gave me an Indian burn, which is like where you like wrench the skin in opposite directions on your arm. And I like, in a, in a way of like, oh God, I was just such a, I'm so smart child. I just needed to use all these words that I had no idea what they meant. And so I said, it doesn't hurt because I'm a masochist. And my teacher was standing right there, and his head, like, whips around at me. And he's just got this terrified look on my face, on his face. And I knew, like, something was wrong as, as soon as, like, he whipped around like that. But he said nothing, and I said nothing, and the girl left. I don't think she knew what I had just said. And I went home, and I looked it up. And then there was no way to recover from this. It's not like I could go back to the teacher and say, Don't worry, Mr. Hayes, I'm not a masochist. <laughs> God damn it. 
Maybe he was, like, also a masochist enthusiast. And no, no, he looked terrified, right? <laughs> like, he was not prepared to handle this situation. <laughs> Poor oh, teacher. Your turn. Perfect. Um, so I have a post by Nicholas Snell, and this is about, this is also from Today I Learned. It says, Today I learned that the CDC has urged that schools open later because two-thirds of teenagers suffer chronic sleep deprivation. This has been going on for years. Yes, it has. Actually, the first comment is by Kulau. I feel like they've been recommending this for a few decades. I remember reading about it when I was in high school, at least. Sai mm. M. Work says, When I was in seventh grade, we had a new principal in charge of the school. One of the first things she did was to change the starting time to 9.30. My grade shot up like a 1.75 GPA to a 3.5. I was interested and involved in school for the very first time because I wasn't tired as all hell. That same principal also started new initiatives like every Wednesday, classes were shortened by 20 minutes to create a final period that was basically extracurriculars time. It didn't matter which clubs we joined, but we had to join one. Consequently, participation in clubs and interest groups shot up. Additionally, we didn't have academic quarters. We had trimesters that the parents really liked because they got more frequent reports of progress. It was literally the best year of school I've ever had before or since. Edit, I should have been clearer. They called the grading periods trimesters, but technically it was sexmesters. So three trimesters, one semester, and we had two semesters per year. They probably didn't want to call them sexmesters for obvious reasons. <laughs> but schools aren't for learning, you see. Schools are a state-paid babysitting service. So the next year, that principal had to go. We went back to our 7.30 start time, the Wednesday clubs went away, and the grading periods went back to quarters. Aw, that sucks. Yeah, it's a nightmare. And he goes and he describes in an edit um, some of the history of what happened. And yeah, it's, it's a nightmare. Like, yeah. So um, Neologic29 says, Shame. Innovators are hardly ever appreciated. It's one of the worst traits of humanity that we basically have to be shocked out of our collective rut on occasion, and we don't go quietly. Synchronize says, I've always found it incredibly frustrating to see people defend patently stupid or inferior ideas purely because that is the status quo, and those people are lazy and afraid of change. They often argue what they currently have is good enough. It feels like Ford hit the nail on the head in regards to innovation. If I asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. Oh, so true. So this has been deleted. It says, uh, I think the problem is that the school day has to be roughly aligned with the workday for pragmatic reasons. Really, I think we could also make a good case for the standard workday needing an overhaul as well. I cannot remember where I read this, but apparently most people are not morning people, defined as those who peak intellectually and physically before noon. Yet the workplace is almost exclusively designed for this minority. Hmm. A Bear Dream says, I'd say that could go even further into a reboot of society in general, since we tend to have outgrown the outdated 1700s Farmer's Day schedule. Oh my gosh, please. Oh my god, seriously. Because <laughs> that would get rid of, um, like, fall back and spring forward, mm -hmm. the and daylight savings time stuff. Like, everyone would be just... dramatically less obsessed with coffee. Like, <laughs> you shouldn't need a drug every day just to do your regular activities to sustain life. Um, Canada 432 has a pretty good explanation. It's partly the workday, but mostly the administration and sports. Sports are so stupidly important. Not knocking sports. I was a varsity athlete in multiple sports throughout high school. That they literally take precedence over academics. If school gets out at 2.30, practices and extracurriculars won't end until 5 or 5.30. If there's games, you might have three games to finish in a row, freshman, JV, varsity. And after travel, you're looking at 10 p.m. or later before the games even end. 
When we would travel for basketball games or track meets, we'd frequently not get back to our school until at least 11 p.m. or later. If you delay start times and subsequently end times by two hours, you're looking at sports teams routinely not getting home until after midnight. Administration doesn't want to deal with the added scheduling across multiple days. They like that everybody travels and plays at the same time because it saves effort as well as cost in transportation, one bus and driver instead of three buses with three drivers across multiple days. So until the U.S. stops putting a completely absurd amount of importance on high school athletics, this isn't going to change. Well, if sports are so important, why don't you have them in the morning? School starts at 10. If you want to do sports, 8. Yeah, a random person actually later in this thread said, then the schools can make sports teams practice before the start of the school day instead of at the end. There we go. But you know what? A lot of sports teams do that anyway. Like you have to get there at Mm -hmm. 5 and then go to practice and then have school and then go to practice. Insane. Goddamn sports. Did you have any more? No, that's that's it. I was reminded by sex musters that there was a class in my high school called Fundamentals of American Government. Oh, no. Which, as you can surmise, shortened to FAG. That class only lasted for one year, and then it turned into Fundamentals of American Democracy. Democracy. Yeah. story. Lieutenant Cupycake has submitted to malicious compliance... I got asked to step down from a position. Years ago, I taught Sunday school on a voluntary basis at a mega church in my town. There were so many children in this church that classrooms were made available to group children with Sunday school teachers for every year of their life until middle school and high school, at which point they attended a larger group with similarly aged peers in separate wings of the building. I taught two-year-olds and loved every minute of it. My classroom boasted a huge number of children, at about 20 to 25 per service. I was supposed to have an adult co-teacher, but all the other adult volunteers were sent to other classrooms with a higher need. I had two high school-aged volunteers, best friends, who often spent service time playing together, despite repeated approaches to asking them to play with the children. One of my volunteers was the director's son, who I couldn't replace because of his mother, and who clearly did not want to be volunteering. Despite this, and despite inheriting a huge classroom full of several special-needs children, my children played calmly throughout service and enjoyed a routine and simple rules I set to run the classroom efficiently. Children arrived, played calmly, sang songs, ate snack, and went home. Even in the face of this obvious evidence that my classroom was running efficiently, I was repeatedly asked by church leaders to adopt certain mannerisms around the children I find inauthentic and, frankly, patronizing. I don't and won't speak in a high-pitched voice to anyone, child or adult. I don't and won't use words like oopsie-daisy. These requests were persistent. It was the opinion of the church that I was not warm and welcoming enough. It was modeled again and again that the church would prefer I was over-animated in a huge smile, hug, I'm so glad you're here kind of greeting. One summer day, we were all called, some 50-plus room leaders and volunteers, into a mandatory meeting. You know those meetings where you instantly know they're talking about you. The policies on words like oopsie-daisy were now set in writing, and I was shortly asked to step down for not using these phrases. I was not allowed to prepare my children for the transition to a new Sunday teacher. I was immediately replaced, by a friend, actually, and was fairly crushed about the sudden break from little people I liked spending time with. And furthermore, it made me question my abilities to work with children, an endeavor I had already devoted my life to. Unbeknownst to my church, I had long been working at a career in early childhood intervention, teaching a classroom full of two-year-old child victims of trauma and abuse with a heavy caseload of special needs children. 
My coworker called me over one Monday as I was the twos teacher asking what I made of this email she had just received concerning a church with an out of control twos room requesting that someone come consult with their new staff and help implement some new classroom techniques to manage difficult behaviors. Naturally, I agreed to do the consult in person as soon as possible and asked my coworker to let them know I would meet with them on a completely voluntary basis at their next Sunday service. It was absolutely my pleasure to greet my church leaders and friend as their specialist consultant to their confused surprise. I walked them through all sorts of interventions and strategies I had previously used to create a calm classroom environment and strongly advised against the use of overly excited greetings and phrases like oopsie daisy in place of direct redirective requests, e.g. please put your feet back on the floor. It was my strong written recommendation that the written policies on these strategies be amended and for staff to immediately be retrained in accordance with actual therapeutic practices. It was my last time stepping foot in that church and will forever remain my most deliciously cherished memories of vindication. Yes. That should also be cross-posted to our our pro-revenge. That was beautiful. Delightful Space Peach is the top comment saying, love this. Children know when you're talking down to them. Funny that the church leaders didn't. <laughs> Lieutenant Cuppycake, the OP, says, One of the two leaders of the child care division was a retired teacher for a very young age group. She talked to me in a sing-song voice all of the time, and it really drove me nuts. For some people, that's how they relate to everyone. Her folly was in not valuing how differently people relate to both kids and adults. I had never criticized other youth leaders for doing things differently than myself. I think a variety of communication styles often makes an organization stronger. And it's important to remember that everyone has a huge commonality in loving kids and wanting nothing but happiness for them. That thought has helped me through a lot of what would have been clashes in teaching styles with fellow interventionists and providers. On an absolutely evil note, it did feel really good to see her frown all through the consult though. Perfect. Awesome. All right. My uh, last submission for me is by, it's actually from a fantastic subreddit. The subreddit is called Who Would Win? And I highly recommend the subreddit to any of you who remember happy days in junior high school or high school where you and your friends would sit down and have arguments over who would win in a fight. Would it be Goku or Superman? Would it be, you know, if you've played Super Smash Brothers, just imagine that as a subreddit. You've got a pretty good idea of how it goes. Beautiful. So this post is from Chosetsu, and he says, U.S. armed forces versus every turtle that ever lived. <laughs> That's going to be a shit ton of turtles, so get ready. All turts are bloodlusted and want to destroy <laughs> human civilization. Round one, the turtles attack New York City, and the police slash military got to fight them. They have the element of surprise. How much can the turts destroy? Round two. Turtles fall out of the sky all <laughs> over the continental U.S. They land safely and thirst for blood. How much destruction can those reptiles cause? Round three. Okay, it's round one, but instead of turtles, it's lions. <laughs> it's every lion that ever lived versus the U.S.A. Round four, every turtle versus every lion, but the lions are (laughs) tiny, like the size of a squirrel. They fight in a big-ass arena. This person is incredibly creative. I loved, I loved this pitch. So user Doctorus says, 
Turtles first evolved around 200 million years ago. Let's say average turtle lifespan is 50 years, as mortality should have been high. I'm too lazy to do more math now, plus I don't have proper data regarding how turtles used to reproduce millions of years ago, so I'll just use assumptions with lazy numbers. I assume 300k unique turtles exist for every 50 years on average during this 200 million years, excluding newborns that don't even qualify as turtles who died early or unhatched eggs. I reduce the number, also exclude some species so it'll be even lower. This makes about 6,000 unique turtles per year. This means we get around 12, there's a lot of zeros, turtles in total. <laughs> I think it's about 120 billion. Maybe my number is too unreasonably trillion. low, but let's go with it. Yes, you're right, that's trillion. Round one, turtles annihilate entire city by sheer numbers, and New York City most likely gets nuked to conceal the infestation. Round two, there will be around 150k bloodlusted turtles in every square kilometer. Whoa. I doubt anything survives. I guess underground bases and well-defended facilities survive and nuke the entire surface. Round three, lions evolved around 120k years ago. Let's say there are 10k unique lions per year. 120 billion or so total lions. 1.2 billion lions versus US. I think the army takes it. There'll be a lot of casualties, but it's, it's winnable. Round four, turtles, turtle stomp. Turtle stomp. <laughs> User Yiglorba says, most of those turtles, though, are only a few inches in size. I think humanity would have trouble, but would be able to rally, develop and deploy anti-turtle weaponry, or import <laughs> anti-turtle predators and strike back. Even in round two, since only the U.S. is hit, other countries can assist in this manner. Also, another major issue, turtles have to eat. Most of them only eat specific things. The turtles will damage the ecosystem in the process, but within a few weeks, most of them will have starved to death. Humanity mostly has to lock down doors, windows, etc., and stay indoors. Turtles will break in and get some of us, but they're not zombies. They're going to have trouble getting access to locked down buildings before starvation does them in. And since individual turtles are small and weak, humans will be able to prey on individual turtles to avoid starving themselves. Right? Fair. They put a lot of thought into this. Yes, he's got the, he's got the strategy planned for the turtle apocalypse. Worm42 says, Don't forget that there were some huge prehistoric turtles. Some of them were the size of cars and may have preyed on crocodiles. Round one will be a clusterfuck for humans because of the New York City location. Can't use artillery or airstrikes in among the skyscrapers. Tanks get stuck in bridge traffic, never make it to the fight. Millions of New Yorkers panicking and getting in the way, many becoming turtle chow in the process. But turtles don't eat human. Oh, they're bloodlusted. Got yes, it. Sorry. Blood I they are fierce. Fierce. Camo Camo says, are we talking about turtles or tortoises? Because turtles are going to have a real difficult time here. They are an aquatic creature fighting on land. Oh. In the first round, the turtles are attacking. So I'm imagining them slowly marching out of the sea towards the city. This is a siege, and one could last weeks due to the number of turtles involved and the slow speed that they move at. In the first round, the turtles are attacking. So I'm imagining them slowly marching out of the sea towards the city. This is a siege, and one that could last weeks due to the number of turtles involved and the slow speed that they move at. Before they get this attack underway, they already face several problems. The high number of turtles coming inland means there will be a huge turtle congestion, and seeing as New York isn't lovely flat beaches all the way around, it limits the land area the turtles can make an assault on. The tight congestion and limited space create something similar to a stadium crush. 
As anyone who has heard of the disasters, where lots of people try to rush a small space knows, they are deadly. I would foresee many turtles simply being crushed to death by their bloodlusted brethren, and then their dead body just becomes an obstacle, blocking and slowing down more turtles in a continuous cycle of turtle-on-turtle destruction. An encroaching horde of bloodlusted turtles isn't going to go unnoticed for very long, so that element of surprise won't hold up forever. At this point, I'm lost as to what the turtles are going to do. If anyone can escape them just by climbing up somewhere they can't reach, what are they going to do? Or if they go up against a tank? Like at that point, the people don't even need to shoot them, just drive over them like a steamroller. Crossing the street in New York is dangerous enough. I can't see senseless turtles making many successful crossings either. The human's most effective strategy would be to have patrols of trucks drive up and down the entry points, flattening every turtle as it makes its way out of the water. Those that give past would be easy enough to take care of. If things get desperate, the people can pour a shitload of poison and chemicals in the water and kill all the remaining turtles as they approach the coastline. I would play this video game. (laughs) Plants versus turtles. Although, let's imagine that the turtles have nearly human-like intelligence and that they are aware of the scale of this war (laughs) and that they are smart enough to realize that they have the numbers advantage and that's about it. They might try to use man-made waterways to their advantage. They could slowly send their forces in covertly and position them in strategic locations and then strike. Imagine how much damage could be done if they made their way into the sewer system. Every drain pipe under the city getting blocked by the bodies of turtles that are sacrificing themselves in an attempt to flood the city. I'd imagine they could get the subway full and then they have taken out a major part of the city transport system. After that, they work on and exist out of the city. I don't know how many turtles it takes to damage a bridge supports, but they might be able to do it. Once there is no escape, the move inland starts. Take the pipes, the sewers, and the now flooded subway system to spread the turtle forces out. Attack from all sides. The challenge will be not overextending. Keep a solid, unbreakable formation of turtles. Make sure every fallen turtle is replaced by another and keep marching inwards, slowly flapping with blood-coated flippers and beady little eyes, onward to victory. I love how different each of these commenters are. Like, one is concerned about, like, how many turtles are we talking about? And then another is like, how can the turtles win? (laughs) (laughs) Gray Lika says, you just made my day. And then username word says, amazing comment i completely agree my favorite comment in the thread though was you have millions of bloodless turtles rr queso says plus four of them are ninja (laughs) (laughs) perfect (laughs) chromopolis morty says uh, chromopolis morty says i don't have a good answer for you but this is my favorite post of all time the musical troll lord says the wording alone cracked me up i loved that (laughs) plus four are ninja and bloodlusted. Beautiful. Excellent, excellent thread. Thank you so much, Shozetsu. It's a small thread, but I thought it was wonderful. That's a great place to wrap up, I think. Well, we actually have one more user submission. Oh, you're um, right. Yes, this is a, or sorry, a listener submission. Um, this is from Eli, and he submits a uh, post from Ask Reddit, and the post is, Waiters in expensive restaurants. What are the best high-class snooty people insults you've ever received? This is by Mr. A. <laughs> the first one is by Kyle Whatever. I worked as a valet for about a year at a really classy hotel downtown. We routinely had Mercedes, BMWs, Range Rovers, football players, candy-colored cars, Porsches, etc. Pretty much any kind of high-end non-sports car I drove. 
One time, a guy pulled up in a decent Mercedes, not an AMG or anything super high dollar. He seemed cool at first, but after I gave him the valet claim ticket, he casually went to his back seat and retrieved a newspaper. As I'm still holding the driver's door open, he starts disassembling the newspaper like he was about to clean up cat piss off the hardwood floor. Once he had four to five single sheets of newspaper, he began setting the newspaper on his driver's seat as if to protect it from my apparently dirty ass. <laughs> he didn't even have to say anything. It was the rudest insult I had ever received. That's amazing, and I would so do that. User Pepper, Pepper Conch Bar says, brought waters and menus, did the welcome speech, and asked if they'd like to order drinks right away. The men glared at me and told me that I'd have to do better than that if I expected a tip. He wanted the best service. I was a little befuddled, smiled, and said that I'd do my best to make his visit an enjoyable one. Do you know who I am? Oh. When I admitted that I did not, he was really offended. He then informed me that he was a professor at the community college the next town over. <laughs> Seriously, the community college. His wife was shushing him and facepalming like crazy. Poor woman. I wonder if he had just gotten the job or something, right? Like... <laughs> User Lotus Prince nails it. Wait, you can do that? I'm an adjunct at a university. Time to throw my weight around. <laughs> <laughs> Semper Noto Vishaya says, that's when you do the good for you. Like you're talking to a five-year-old and you're proud of them. Make sure your voice is real high at the end and you sound excited and have a big smile. The bigger the ego, the harder the mental slap will register on their face. It's wonderful. I actually got that move from my coworker, who also worked at a school educating special needs kids. She always sounded so genuinely, earnestly proud. Not a slip of the face or tone to show what savagery had just been unleashed. Amazing. User Adam657 says, A girl I know got screamed at for not opening the mustard she served. She works in a relatively posh place, and the mustard comes in this little individual glass pot. I think Coleman's or whatever. She hadn't opened the mustard for them and was yelled at. I work for local paper and they will be hearing about this. I've never been so offended. Disgusting behavior. She just stood there aghast and like, did you want me to open the mustard now? More yelling. <laughs> Clint Renee says, more yelling. How about now? Diner explodes with rage. <laughs> Accelerated Dragon continues. Hard hitting story coming up. No wonder newspapers are dying. <laughs> Such cool Brandon nails it with, local restaurant doesn't cut the mustard, much less open it. <laughs> <laughs> He's the real journalist of this thread. User Hurricane Wrist says, I used to bartend at a high-end golf club. This one really stands out for some reason. Customer, did you go to public school? Me, yes. Customer, yeah, I can tell. Dude, was a, dude was a dick. User Ragnar Broke said, did you inherit your money? Yes. Yeah, I can tell. Oh. User Cody Late says, Did you go to a private school? Yeah. I can't tell. Ooh. <laughs> Savage. Uh, and to close up the thread, uh, Gronk Lord commented, Worked a banquet hall at a wedding as my first job, and a guy once called me an imperious cretin. To this day, I'm trying to think of a better insult. Nothing yet. Imperious Cretan. Thank you so much, Eli. This was a fantastic, fantastic listener submission. If any of you listeners have posts, threads, or comments from Reddit that you would like to hear featured on this show, make sure to send them our way. 
Thank you for listening to Reddit Gold Radio number eight. Help us grow by sending the podcast to a friend you know who loves Reddit. And if you are interested in supporting RGR and keeping us on the air, become a patron on Patreon to unlock perks and bonus shows. I'm your hostess. Leave comments for this episode in our subreddit. Subscribe wherever you are listening to this, and you'll hear us again next week. I'm your host. Good night and good luck. For very complicated reasons, not limited to overspending on nuclear and space technology and military, and the general lack of concern for its people, the Soviet Union declined and eventually suffered widespread academic collapse and public outrage, especially when Gorbachev instituted his glasnost policy. Economic, not academic. See, I'll start the paragraph. I said economic. No, you said academic. Economic. Vladimir Putin, ex-KGP. What? KGP. KGP. KGB. This was seven years ago, but I still face palmet. What? That's <laughs> not a word. Our hashtag, our cringe. If any of you have a particular post or comment or thread that you would like to see us, I'm sorry, to see us, to hear us relate to you, please send us our. Yeah, let's just start that over. Wow. <clears throat> if any of you listeners have posts or threads or comments that you would like us to include in the next show, please I like I can't do this without a script. <laughs> please send them to us. Wait, so okay, shh. <clears throat> if any of you lizard If any of you lizards <laughs> If any of you lizards You're barely okay. human. It's official now. Creatures. If you're a follow of Reddit Gold Radio, you're a lizard.